I wonder if you ever, way back in school, got one of those love notes and said something like, do you like me? Will you be my boyfriend or girlfriend? And it had that little check check box, yes or no, and you were supposed to return it. I'll admit, I, I probably gave a lot of those notes more than I actually received them. You know what I'm talking about. Or maybe through the years, has, has someone pursued you to be a friend? They, they could be friends with, with lots of different people, but they wanted to be friends with you. They wanted to get to know you. Or maybe it was at work. Uh, the boss calls you into his office or her office and and offers you a promotion that you weren't expecting, or maybe another company called you to recruit you. Why don't you come work for us? Or maybe you played sports, and for years you were on the bench, and then all of a sudden came the day. The coach said, get off the bench, get in the game. Today is your day. I mean, all of those are just examples of of someone seeing something special in us. Someone seeing potential in us, possibility. Uh, Maybe we had dreamed of it, maybe maybe we had hoped for it, but it was an invitation to be more than we had been before. Uh, I'll never forget back when I was in ninth grade at Winter Park Junior High, I was part of the yearbook team. And just about a month into the year, we're working on just some of the early things you do in making a yearbook. And the teacher, the sponsor, pulled me aside and said, I've chosen you to be the editor. And I said, I don't know anything about editing a yearbook. But he said, I see leadership potential in you. I see possibility in you. That was the first time anybody had ever said anything like that to me. I still remember uh, a Sunday afternoon early in 1990 when Reverend Bob Bouchong, the associate pastor of this church, called me up to his office and asked if I would consider becoming the youth director of this church. I remember telling him, I don't know anything about being a youth director. But he told me he thought that I could do the job. And, and as part of that job, uh, Bob made the arrangements that I could help participate in worship every Sunday. And so soon after that, I started coming here and putting on a robe and, and climbing into this pulpit week after week, sometimes just to do the announcements and sometimes to pray the prayers and sometimes to read the scriptures. But I remember what it felt like ascending the steps up to this great pulpit uh, to lead people in worship and to stand before such godly people. It was humbling then And it still is now. And I remember getting a call about a year ago telling me that the bishop had selected me to come and be the lead pastor of this church, of all the different pastors that could be chosen, uh, that I was the one that he felt was the right pastor for this time. And the feeling of honor, but also being humbled again, that I'm the one that someone sees possibility and potential in. Really, that's what we're talking about this morning, that there is within each one of us possibility and potential. And these are just examples of of how that happens sometimes in our own lives, how it's happened in my life. 
But today I want us to talk about how God sees the potential and possibility he's put in each one of us. Most of us think of Easter as a single day event, a day on a calendar where we we dress up in our Easter clothes, we eat special food, we come to church and we have special decorations. But in the church, Easter is actually just the beginning of a 50-day season. Easter Sunday starts a season when we celebrate what Easter represents. Jesus dying for our sins and overcoming death, conquering the grave. Well, of course, we know that Jesus didn't just defeat his own death. He didn't just conquer his own grave. He defeated death for us as well. And not just our literal death when this human life will end. The Bible speaks just as much about uh, our spiritual death and our spiritual life. That, That before we know Christ, we are the living dead that we are dead in sin. Our scripture today comes from Ephesians chapter two. And in verse five, it says, God brought us to life with Christ while we were dead. As a result of those things that we did wrong, he did this because of the great love that he has for us. Now, I want you to notice in this passage that Paul is using the past tense He isn't just speaking about what's going to happen to us in the future when we die our physical death and then what our eternal destination will be. He's talking specifically here about what Christ has already done for us. Past tense, he brought us to life with Christ. It's already happened. It's already done. Just as Jesus was raised from the dead, we too have been raised from a state of spiritual death now into a new life in Christ. As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, that person is part of a new creation. The old things have gone away. And look, new things have arrived. You see, it's, it's already done. It's, it's already happened. The, the Easter event of Jesus's conquering the death broke into our reality, a new spiritual reality, where we now can live a new life in Christ. One of my favorite authors is Thomas Merton, who was a Trappist monk, spiritual writer, And he said, the reason for the crucial importance of the Easter mystery is that by his resurrection, Christ lives in us. A familiar verse comes from Galatians 2.20, where Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. He doesn't mean that literally. He was not on the cross with Christ. He's speaking spiritually. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in my body, I live by faith, indeed by the faithfulness of God's son who loved me and gave himself for me. Well, returning to our passage for today, Ephesians chapter two, I'm I'm particularly struck by what it says in verse six. God raised us up and seated us 
in the heavens with Christ Jesus. Let me read that again. God raised us up, past tense, and seated us, past tense, in the heavens with Christ Jesus. I think Paul is is being very intentional here about his verb tense. This is something that Christ has already done. He's already raised us. He's already seated us in heaven in the past, which says something about my present reality. God raised us up and seated us in the heavens with Christ Jesus. Not God will raise us up at the time of our death, that God will seat us in heaven. That's not what Paul says. God already has. This is already done. You and I are currently raised and seated in heaven. It's already done. It's already happened. Now, obviously, that that sounds pretty strange. We're not literally in heaven at the moment. Um, I'm here in this sanctuary uh, alone, except for Rye back in the sound booth. This is a beautiful place, but it's not heaven. I I don't know where you might be this morning. Uh, Maybe you're sitting on the couch, drinking your coffee, wearing your pajamas. Maybe you're sitting on the back porch, eating your breakfast. I I don't know, but but you're not literally in, in what we imagine heaven to be. And then of course there's this whole pandemic right now. That that doesn't feel much like heaven with so many people sick, so many people grieving, so many people afraid, so many people out of work, so so much so much division and conflict in our con- country and world. How how can we say that we have been raised and seated in heaven when it feels so much not like heaven? Paul undoubtedly chose his words carefully and intentionally. He's not talking about a a literal, spatial, (laughs) geographic reality. He's talking about something spiritual. He is saying, we are, in the present tense, even in the midst of difficulty, raised up. We are, even in our current circumstances, that I may be located right here in this moment, but I am also seated in the heavens with Christ. That is a present truth. That is a present reality. What could Paul possibly mean? I think he's talking about potential. I think he's talking about possibility. I think he's talking about living the lives that God created us to live. I, I think he means that with God's help, that whatever and whoever I will be in heaven someday, that in some way I already am that person, that that potential already exists within you and me, that my future heavenly reality is already a promise fulfilled in the present. Whatever growth I can expect in heaven, whatever perfecting, whatever cleansing or healing or forgiveness, the the wholeness that heaven offers, whatever I think will come for me in heaven, God says is already possible in this life that we have been made new because Christ, the risen Christ, 
lives within us. We don't have to wait for some future date to become the men and women that God has called us and made possible for us to be and become. Again, Thomas Merton writes, Jesus not only teaches us the Christian life, like an idea, he creates it in our souls by the action of the Holy Spirit. Our life in him is not a matter of mere ethical goodwill. It's not mere moral perfection. It is an entirely new spiritual reality, an inner transformation. In the Methodist tradition, the word that we use for this is, is sanctification. Uh, sanctification means that the, the Holy Spirit, by God's grace, works in our lives once we know Christ to increasingly more and more make us like Christ. I, I think this is the genius of Methodist Christianity. Salvation ultimately is more than what happens to me when I die, my eternal destination. Salvation, rather, is a, is a present and a future reality. That eternity is both a present and a future reality. That I begin my eternal life here and now and can begin to live into that eternal reality. Begin to let it manifest itself in me and in my words and my actions. And that it extends beyond this moment indefinitely. It means with, with God's help, with the power of the Spirit in me, in this life, that you and I can grow in our godly virtues. Virtues like kindness and patience and joy and generosity and love and courage. It's the opportunity to discover our true purpose and calling, to, dis to discover the gifts that God has put within each and every one of us, for, for us to become more selfless and more serving, for us to become more like the person of Jesus. Another good Methodist word is perfection, that the, the ultimate goal of sanctification is perfection, that in this life, John Wesley, our founder, believed that we could become perfected in our love for God and others. That there is that potential, that there is that possibility within each and every one of us. What, what else could it possibly mean when Paul says that we already have been raised, that we are in the present tense seated in the heavenly realms? Here and now, we can be more and more and more the people that God created us to be and intends for us to be in heaven. Ephesians 4.13 says, God's goal is for us to become mature adults, to be fully grown, measured by the standard of the fullness of Christ. So, sometimes I hear an expression among evangelical Christians. They, they say, I, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I've seen it on, on bumper stickers. I'm, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Well, I, I understand where they get that, but, but frankly, I think that it's unbiblical. It misses the point. The Bible teaches, yes, that we're sinners saved by grace and that you and I are in the process 
of becoming God's saints in this life. Then returning to today's passage, Ephesians chapter two, verse 10 says, we are God's accomplishment created in Christ Jesus to do good things. That's from the common English Bible. Other versions of the Bible say, instead of we're God's accomplishment, that we're God's handiwork, that we are God's masterpiece, like a work of art created, as we read in the story of of creation and God taking uh, dirt from the earth to form Adam, right? That we are God's masterpiece, that God created each and every one of us uniquely in God's image, with God's loving touch, with God's intentionality to do the good works that he created us to do. I like that. We are God's handiwork, God's masterpiece I'm a big fan of the Japanese-American Christian artist and author, Makoto Fujimura. He writes, we are all chosen, broken creatures, and Jesus has made us all into artists. Whether we use a brush or simply ride on a garbage truck, our stories are living stories of the kingdom that we write every day. Infused with the mystery of the great artist spirit, our stories can can become a wide open adventure, part of the greatest story ever told. Well, Fujimura paints these incredible works of art. He, He has a studio in New York City. He's quite famous. Well, you and I may not be artists like Fujimura. You and I may not use paints and a brush and and a canvas. But each of us are artists. We are an extension of God's artistic touch in the world. That's the point of being raised and seated with God in this life. That's the point of being God's handiwork, God's masterpiece, to do the good things that we were created for, to do good things in God's name for God's people. Ephesians 2.10 says, God planned for these good things to be the way that we live our lives. Simply put, God is in the work of transformation. That is the business that God does. He takes people like you and me and sees possibility and potential in us to raise us up, to, to, to live a different kind of life, to be in this life more and more like Jesus, to be part of his unfolding mission in this world, to do good in his name. God created us in his image. Christ redeemed us through his death and resurrection and the Holy Spirit lives and moves and breathes inside of each of us, working to transform our everyday lives, our character, our relationships, how we love, our generosity, our our allegiances, our priorities. And all of that becomes evident in the good work that we do. All of that work of God becomes evident in the way we speak to each other, in the way that we treat each other and treat others in the world. Brennan Manning says, for me, the most radical demand of Christian faith lies 
in summoning the courage to say yes to the present risenness of Jesus Christ. Perhaps another way of saying that is that the Christian life is learning how to say yes to the potential and possibility that lies within each of us. Perhaps another way of saying it is learning how to say yes to being risen with Christ, to being raised to the heavenly places and seated with Christ in the heavens and the way we live our lives. So early in my sermon, I mentioned that day that, that Bob Bouchon called me to his office to offer me the opportunity to be the youth director here at First Church. Well, later when I uh, was heading off to seminary on my last Sunday, I was given the opportunity to preach. It was my very first sermon. I got to stand in that great pulpit and uh, to offer that sermon that day. And it was uh, really a pretty terrible sermon, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, but everybody was great. Uh, everyone had very kind words to say. And after the service, I, I said goodbye to everyone. I was going to leave that week to, to go to Duke. Uh, and people were, you know, wishing me the best and, and saying goodbye, thanking me for my time here. Uh, but before I left, uh, a gentleman came up to me named Bob Smith, who I know many of you know, a member of our church. And he took me by the arm and he walked me here into our narthex, here where these portraits hang. Uh, you, you may not know, these are the portraits of uh, former senior pastors who from this church went on to be bishops of the United Methodist Church. Uh, this is Bishop Branscombe. This is Bishop Pendergrass, who was uh, largely responsible for the building of the sanctuary. And, and, and Bishop Blackburn. Well, Bob Smith walked me out here and stood me before these portraits of these great men of God who served this church and our denomination. And Bob said, you know who these men are, don't you, Vance? I said, yes, sir, I do. He said, well, someday in the future, we'll look forward to offering uh, a spot for your portrait on the wall. Uh, he was clearly expecting that someday that I would become uh, like one of these gentlemen, a bishop in the church. Well, I knew then and I, knew now, I know now uh, that that's not in the cards for me. That's not my calling. Uh, I intend to be here the rest of my ministry. But I can't tell you how much it meant to me that someone like Bob believed in me and saw that potential within me. Even though I've never dreamed of being a bishop, his believing in me has always stayed with me through the years uh, and encouraged me, uh, caused me to believe in myself. I, I don't know if you've had someone like uh, a Bob Smith or, or others that I've mentioned today who, who've chosen you, who saw potential and possibility in you. But what I want to tell you today that there is a God who knows all of your possibility and potential because God made you. He made you to have that possibility and potential. That he's the one that redeemed you through Jesus Christ. And it's his spirit within you that will make it possible. You are risen in Christ. You have been raised to heaven. And you are seated with Christ. 
That's who you are. That's your potential. Thanks be to God. As we come now to the end of our service, I invite you to say our benediction with me. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace this day and forevermore. God bless you all.